Good morning. Follow me to the cross. Thanks, Good Key family, for those, for those songs. God is so good. Let's not, remember, let's not forget that as we go through this passage this morning. <clears throat> I know you've just sat down, but I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read the passage that we have this morning. So please stand with me and through your mask, let's read this passage together. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. But whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the sake will save it. Sorry about that. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you are a good, good God. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the atonement, for the redemption that we are assured of because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Fathers, we come to this passage this morning. Father, we might wrestle with what Jesus is saying to us here. Father, open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to hear, to understand what you have for us this morning. Father, may the words that I speak be words that you would have for each of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This is not an easy passage. But just to set the stage here, we've just read that passage, but what, what comes before that? I think it's important for us to, you know, the beginning of Mark chapter 8, Jesus is out and about again with his disciples, people following, and we end up and we see the feeding of the 4,000. And then from there, If you might remember, Jesus has the conversation with his disciples about the yeast of the Pharisees and the disciples are trying to get their head around, what is he meaning? They're still trying to grapple with who this Jesus is because the feeding of the 4,000 included a lot of Gentiles. Given where that happened, there's 
high likelihood that there was a lot of Gentiles. So suddenly, Jesus' ministry had moved from just being among Jews. There was Gentiles involved. He's feeding them. The Pharisees are grappling with this. The disciples are grappling with this. We move on and we see the healing of the blind man at Bethsaida. Jesus takes him outside the village, puts the mud on his eyes. He still doesn't see clearly. Jesus touches him again and the man sees and Jesus says, don't go into the village, don't tell them. Well, everybody in the village probably saw it happen. So there's all of this happening. And then Jesus, knowing that these questions are rattling around in people's minds and saying, who, who, am, who am I? Who do people say that I am? And we get Elijah and John the Baptist. And then Jesus turns the screws a little tighter on his followers and says, yes, but who do you say that I am? And at this point, it's the 12. And what's Peter's response? Peter says, you are the Messiah. So this is what precedes our passage this morning. Peter has just declared that Jesus, you are the Messiah. And for any Jew to declare this, what this means is there is suddenly hope. There is the hope that the glory of the kingdom of Israel that maybe was known under King David is about to return. And then we come to this. And Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things. He's going to be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, He's going to be killed and after three days rise again. And Peter, who's just said you are the Messiah, says, well, (laughs) that's not how my Messiah works. My Messiah is going to rule. He is going to reign. He is going to restore Israel's glory. He is not going to be killed. There's no way. And he pulls Jesus aside to rebuke him. And how does Jesus respond? Ouch. Like, ouch. Peter's just declared, you are the Messiah, which was true. And we come here, and and Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus' response here is immediate, it is harsh, but it's the truth. And it actually, if you go back to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, this is the exact sort of stuff that Satan was tempting Jesus with. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus was there tempted for 40 days. I will let you rule over everything. That was the temptation that Satan gave to Jesus. And in that point in time, Jesus, through Scripture, turned to Satan and says, get away from me. He had endured that for 40 days. He came through that. He's now having spent time with his followers. He's got a group of large followers. He's got his 12 disciples. They have seen and experienced much. Peter has just declared you are the Messiah. Jesus teaches them, yes, The Son of Man must be rejected, must be killed, 
and yes, we'll rise again, but I don't think Peter heard that bit because it just didn't compute. There's no way that he, from everything that the Jewish leaders and everyone expected, was that that was going to be the reality of their Messiah. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So what are the concerns of God? And as we are here on Palm Sunday, the week leading up to Easter, some of you might know it as Holy Week, the week before Good Friday, the week that leads up to the cross. Again, Palm Sunday, we often remember Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem where people put their robes on the road, they laid palm branches on the road because, again, there was an understanding that there is their Messiah. Maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe he is the one that is going to redeem us, take us out from under this oppressive Roman rule. They had no idea. But I think three simple things that we are all well aware of. That the cross was required. We know that we've just sung about that. As sinful human beings, we needed the cross. Because of sin, God needed the cross to restore relationship to us. There was no other way. The cross is required. Required death, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. There was no other way. The only way for sin to be defeated was the death of Christ. But the cross is also victory. It's victory in the resurrection. And Jesus just referred to that. He's told his disciples, he says, the Son of Man will be killed and he will rise on the third day. There is victory. The cross is not defeated, but an astonishing and astounding victory over the world, over Satan, over sin, over death. And notice as Jesus finishes talking to Peter and the disciples just before, and when Peter has declared Jesus as Messiah, he says, don't tell anyone. Because there were lots of people that I think would have latched on to that and said, yeah, absolutely. But now he's saying, okay, now call the crowd. So as we move here into verse 34, Jesus has had his little private session with the disciples. Peter has rebuked Jesus. Jesus has rebuked Peter. But now he says, and he calls the crowd to him along with his disciples and says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Remember, this is a crowd that's been following and then, you know, people coming and going. But by this point in Jesus' ministry, he drew a crowd. There were people wanting to follow him because of miracles, to hear his teaching, possibly to hear him stump the teachers of the law. Now the teacher is calling. Very seldom in Scripture do we see Jesus calling the people to him. They just came. But in this passage, Jesus is saying, come, I've got something to share with you. The invitation is there. The invitation is open to everyone. It's just not open to the 12 or to the 3 or to the 70. 
Jew, Gentile, whoever was there, Jesus was inviting into this conversation to hear his teaching. And you know what? That invitation still stands today. What does he say? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, if we put that a little differently, basically he's saying, whoever wants to follow me, to be a disciple is to follow Jesus. So whoever wants to follow me must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. Follow me, follow me. Two little bookends. It's a little tough in the middle. Deny themselves. Take up their cross. We're going to personalize this this morning. We are here on Palm Sunday. We're coming up to Easter. We're coming up to Good Friday. I remember several years back, Andrew and I had the privilege, I think it was on a, it was just before Easter and there was one of our home assignments and there was a pancake breakfast here. And we had befriended a couple um, who were, she was studying at the university, he was working. And they didn't know Christ. They were actually not Canadians. They were here studying. And I remember sitting in the gym over pancakes. And he looked at us and he says, so you got Easter coming up. He says, why on earth do you call it Good Friday? Makes absolutely no sense. The cross does not make sense. The cross is an instrument of horrible Horrible punishment and execution. The Jewish leaders couldn't actually crucify Jesus. It was the Romans that did it. The Romans, I don't know if you can perfect horrible, but the Romans tried real hard at perfecting horrible. The horrible death of a cross. And Jesus is saying this to people that obviously haven't seen his crucifixion, but they've seen crucifixion all around them because it's what the Romans did. We're called here, and Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, take, deny yourself, take up your cross. So let's look a little bit deeper into the cross. We talked about that it was required, that there's death, there's victory. But what are some other aspects of the cross? particularly as we think about how it was used by the Romans. Jesus in Peter didn't say that he was going to be crucified. He said he will be killed. But then he moves on into this, and maybe some people were doing a little bit of math, I don't kind of connecting the dots and going, hmm, he said killed, he's talking, take up the cross. Is there a connection? We don't know. But some other bits about the cross. The cross represented opposition. If you dared defy the Roman government, so if you were opposed, the cross was a likely punishment. So, opposition. Opposition to, if you were opposed to the authority, you might find yourself on the cross. The cross represents weakness. 
not power. If you're hanging on the cross, there's no power there. And actually we see that in the crucifixion story. People came and they mocked Jesus going, where is your power? Call your angels. Why don't you come down from the cross? There was weakness. There's shame and humiliation. It's pretty clear that if you were hung on the cross, you didn't have a stitch of clothing on you. There was shame. There was humiliation. Hanging on the cross, the shame of having to bear your cross through town to wherever you were going to be crucified, that was the walk of shame. Unbelievable suffering and torture. To hang there on the cross, trying to breathe when you're spread out like that, and which is why the Romans would break the legs so that you could no longer push up. So you, horrible, horrible experience. A horrible way to die. And death. What are we as human beings? Do we gravitate towards opposition, weakness, shame, suffering, and death? Those are just sort of things that we go, yeah, let's... No. We recoil. We're repulsed by that sort of stuff. We like honor. We like power. We like glory. We like recognition. We like safety and security. We want to enjoy life. Yes? That's who we are. Our fallen nature. We want people to honor us. We want power. We want glory recognition. We want safety and security. We want life. And I believe that the cross, that what Jesus is talking about here to his disciples to us this morning. If we're going to take up our cross, if we're going to deny ourselves and follow Jesus, we have to say, I want Jesus so much, I'm willing to be opposed. I want Jesus so much, I'm willing to give up power and embrace weakness. I want Jesus so much, I'm willing to endure shame and humiliation. I want Jesus so much that I'm willing to endure suffering and torture. And if need be, I want Jesus so much, I'm willing to die. I firmly believe that is what this passage is telling us this morning. This is hard, my friends. This is hard. We do not like opposition and weakness and shame and suffering and death. But are we willing? And please note, Jesus is not saying in order to follow me, you have to be opposed. You have to be weak. No. We don't all endure all of these things at the same time. But the point is, Jesus is saying we must deny ourselves because the self in us says, "Uh uh-uh, I want honor. I want recognition. I don't want, you know, I want glory. That's what self in us says. But because we are on this side of the cross, 
And we've just sung about, there. we have a new self. The Holy Spirit within us, Christ, because of the cross, because of Christ's death and Christ's resurrection, as believers, those of us who follow Christ here this morning, we have that new self, the redeemed self, who can say to the old self, I deny you. But we can't do it on our own. It is only through Christ and because of Christ. There is, there is no easy believism here. This is not about, yeah, God, I'm a bad person, and accepting Christ and pulling over on the side of the road and waiting for life to go by and hoping heaven comes my way. Don't get me wrong. God has gone to Christ, went to the cross. He died. And if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are redeemed. But if you remember back, Gord Martin talking to us about we need to follow in obedience. The love of God and the obedience to God, they are one and the same, my friends. And this is about obedience, about following our Lord and our Savior. We can't just sit on the side of the road and hope the difficulties of life, hope the challenges of following Jesus, somebody else will do for us. We're called to do this, and we're called to do this together. That invitation to the crowd, what was their reaction? We don't know. But we know that Jesus is saying, he wasn't asking them to do it on the road. Jesus was leading. He says, come follow me. The denying ourselves, taking up our cross. This wasn't some warped way of gaining attention or affirmation. No, Jesus is saying, this is what it takes. The suffering, the humiliation, that's not an end in itself. But it's part of the journey of saying, I want to follow Christ more than I want all these other things that my old self wanted. We are called to be a community of Christ followers. Jesus isn't asking us to do this alone. Yes, we have a response, a personal response to make, but we are here as the body of Christ. By God's grace, we can do this together. We can journey together. We bear each other's burdens. Yes, we might challenge each other. We support each other. We'll come back to that a little bit more. But as Jesus lays this out in verse 34, he doesn't leave it without argument. He's not just saying, here it is, and he carries on. He actually gives us some reasons. First one here, verse 35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the sake of the gospel will save it. So if you want honor and power and recognition and all of that stuff, yeah, you're going to lose your life. But if you're willing to forsake that stuff for the sake of me and the gospel, you will save your life. You're going to save it and lose it? Or are you going to lose it so you can save it? What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their own soul? You gain all the honor, all the glory, 
all the power, all the safety, all the security, everything life has to offer. You're still going to forfeit your soul. No amount of power, honor, recognition can save it. Or can anyone ex- give, what can anyone give in exchange for your soul? It's a rhetorical question. Nothing. You can't give honor. You can't give power. You can't give recognition. None of that. Is, can you give in exchange for your soul? He's just laying it out. He says, verse 34, hear my reasons. We come to verse 38 here. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with the angels. This is not a threat. Jesus isn't giving his disciples a threat. He's not giving us a threat. He is just saying, he's being honest. If we are ashamed of the opposition, of the weakness, of the suffering, of the humiliation, of death, of our Lord and Savior and what it means. And we want honor and recognition and power and safety and life. That's just the logical conclusion. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, if any of you are embarrassed over me and the way I am leading you when you get around to your fickle and unfocused friends, know that you'll be an even greater embarrassment to the Son of Man when he arrives in all the splendor of God, his Father, and with the army of holy angels. It's not a threat. It's just the reality, my friends. And as we look here, Jesus connects the dots. We see here in verse 35, whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Come down to verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me, And of my words in this adulterous generation, he connects those two. It's Jesus and his message. It's not just are we rejecting Jesus, but we're rejecting Jesus and his message. His message, what is the message? It's the message of the cross. It's the message that we are sinful human beings. We have nothing in and of ourselves, nothing that we can do be drawn back to God. Nothing that we can do to redeem ourselves. It's all through Christ. So do we truly desire what God desires? If we don't desire the affirmation of the world, we need to recognize that nothing can buy us out of hell. There is no profit in gaining the whole world. Any effort we make to save our soul by human approval is pointless. As we accept the cross, its opposition, its weakness, its shame, its suffering, its rejection, in that, when we say we want to follow Jesus, we're saying we recognize these things may come our way. The cross of Jesus has saved us. Christ on the cross, his death and his resurrection, that is what gives us new life. But it is our cross to continue to work out our salvation as we follow 
Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer. So we take up our cross. We deny ourselves. We deny that old self. And we follow Jesus. The self that loves Jesus more than life. I want to share with you a story that actually I received this week from a friend and colleague. None of the names in here are, I've changed the names, but Hannah, a new believer, fled her house after a large group of women visited her at her home and threatened to kill her if she didn't return to her previous faith. Hannah has become a Christian in a very difficult context. She'd been told on repeated occasions that, if she, that she has gone mad, is demon-possessed, and she just needed to come to her senses, and she will be given a home, a job, and much more. Hmm. Which choice is she going to make? Hannah fled to a Christian leader's house on the other side of town. But the next morning, she had a group of women there threatening her. So she fled to the church where the pastor also lives. At this point, word got out. Far and wide, hundreds, probably thousands of people were talking about this woman who had become a Christian. Hundreds of kids in town were finding every excuse to visit the pastor's house to gawk at Hannah and her children. Hannah's five-year-old granddaughter, for whom she is a guardian, was kidnapped. We knew her kidnappers, but we were powerless to do anything. A few days later, there were announcements through the local places of worship to thousands of people that a woman had become a Christian. The following day, a son of Hannah arrived from another town, apparently drunk and waving a knife around at church, threatening to kill the pastor. If the pastor got in the way of him killing Hannah, his mother. The police were called. The result? They took Hannah's daughter, Fran, who's 14 years old and also a Christian, and they took her away and gave her to the knife-wielding man. Here, her brother. Fran was spirited away to a town 70 kilometers away, only for her to escape the following day and return on foot most of the way and hitchhiking for the rest. On returning, she was taken by the police again and shipped back. It became clear that Hannah could no longer stay safely at the church, so she hid at our house for a few days before we could get her out to a safer place. During those days, she lived with us. We saw her broken at the loss of her daughters, but steadfast in her faith. She's now trying to rebuild her life in another town, supported by some other believers. That doesn't describe Waterloo County, but that describes a follower of Jesus who is following Jesus to the cross, who is saying, I'm going to face rejection and shame and humiliation and opposition because of who my Lord is. So what about us here at WBC? We pursue Jesus, what does it cost us? What does that look like? Well, interesting, if we go into Mark chapter 9, Jesus again 
tells his disciples and predicts his death. So Mark 9, 31 and 32, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and they were afraid to ask him about it. Not surprising after last time. Then Jesus goes on, he says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Whoever welcomes me, one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. You know, the cross completely upends our understanding of value and of worth. Jesus was there with his disciples, and he takes a little child, and in that context, Yes, a child may have been very loved by their family, but in the context of broader society, the child was at the lower end. And Jesus brings that child right into the midst of his disciples and says, what does he say? Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. You know, the gospel, the cross, the message of this cross completely upends that all. It upends our understanding of value, of worth, of power. Do we need our understanding of these things upended? Is that what it takes here this morning? Or are we following what the world tells us? Are we chasing worldly honor, worldly power, worldly recognition, worldly definitions of safety? Someone said, the kingdom of God is not a power that has entered history to create a new order of dominance. On the contrary, the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to revolutionize the way we relate to each other. And the basis for this revolution is his death and his resurrection. What emerges is a new way of valuing people. For Jesus, a person's value was not established in what they've achieved or invented or accomplished. A person's value was because they were made in the image of God. The next chapter, Mark chapter 10, Jesus again predicts his death to his disciples. And what immediately follows from this one are our dear sons of thunder. And they say to Jesus, just after he's predicted his death, James and John come to Jesus and say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus responded. Let one of us sit at your right and the other on your left in your glory. Seriously? Like, guys, he's just predicted his death. You've seen how he responded to Peter. He's talked about the passage that we're talking about. We come again, Mark chapter 9, He says, unless you become like a little child, again he predicts his death and James and John roll up and say, we want to sit on your right and your left because this is what this is all about. Well, needless to say, the other ten weren't very impressed. But how does Jesus respond? He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. 
Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, Jesus takes the disciples and he says, My kingdom, my rule, completely upends, completely turns around your understanding. No, it's not about honor and recognition. It's about opposition and rejection. It's not about power, but it does involve weakness. It's not about all the good stuff. It's about shame. It's not about safety. It might involve suffering. It's not just life. It might involve death. The message of the cross just continually calls us back to these questions. The cross simply does not make sense in our world. The cross does not make sense to the old self that we still live with. But praise be to God, we have a new self. We have the Holy Spirit within us, working in us to help us to work in us to say we deny ourselves. You know, there's many in the world today that believe Jesus was a good man. Many that believe Jesus was a prophet. But when they get to the cross, it just doesn't compute. Because in our fallen nature, the cross and all the opposition and the rejection and the shame and the humiliation and the suffering and the death It's a sign of weakness. You get to that point, and there will people say, there's no way that Jesus, because he was a great man, and yes, he was a prophet, but there's no way he died. Because the way of the world simply cannot comprehend the cross. Peter saw it as a failure. James and John simply didn't grasp it. Remember what Gary talked to us about last week talked about the creation order and the sinful order, the fallen order. The cross makes no sense to our sinful selves. The cross makes no sense to the world out there that is living and dying without Christ. But the cross is defeated. The cross has overcome. The cross is victory through Christ. But it's more than that to us. Yes, we are here. We're coming up to Good Friday. We're going to celebrate Easter Sunday when Christ rose, defeated death, and we have hope of new life, of resurrection. Absolutely, praise the Lord. That is the hope that we have because Christ endured His cross. But as Tim Keller says, God uses the cross in the lives of people he loves in order to bless them. And that's not the cross that looks real pretty. We suffer opposition and rejection. We suffer shame and humiliation. We may suffer death. All those horrible things that may come in our lives and some of them are going on right here in our congregation right now. 
or in Hannah's life that we just read about. But God in his grace and his mercy can take the horrible and only because he is God can he make something good come out of it. That is the God we serve. It's the triumph of the cross. It's good over evil. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. There is no shortcut, my friends. There is no shortcut. Are we prepared this morning? As we come up to Easter, I know that we here at Wallenstein, we are very clear in our doctrine of salvation, of the necessary death of Christ to pay the penalty for our sin, and of the tremendous hope we have in the resurrection. That is true, that is right, that is the basis for our salvation. But my challenge to us this morning, whether you're sitting here, whether you're next door in the gym, or whether you're at home, are we equally prepared to defend these words of Jesus on the screen behind me? That if we are to follow Christ, the only way, there's no shortcut, the only way is to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow. We don't learn about ourselves well until we experience ourselves well. We have to see things in ourselves. We have to wrestle with it to experience opposition, to experience shame, to experience weakness. Those are the things that hit home. I'll tell you what, you move outside your home culture and you learn some things about yourself pretty fast. But even here, amongst ourselves, God uses some of these things to teach us, to show us. The cross, dare I say, helps us. And each one of us will experience this in different ways. Just because God calls you to something doesn't mean that the person next to you needs to be called to the exact same thing. We are all called. How we deal with that, how we walk that through, is going to look different. We can't be prescriptive, but we are all called to be disciples. And our journeys may look different, but we are called to do it together. We don't don't have power to do it in and of ourselves, only by God's grace. And part of God's grace is he gives us people around us to journey with us. You know, Luke in his parallel passage to what we're talking about here, he doesn't just, this passage talks about we're called to take up our cross. Luke talks, we're called to take up our cross daily. We're coming up to Easter. We're coming up to that celebration of remembering Christ's once and for all death and his once and for all resurrection. The cross we are called to take, my friends, this is not a once in a lifetime. This is a daily, this is a continuous to daily deny ourselves, to continually deny ourselves, to continually take up our cross, to continually be disciples and ask God, show me. We can do this because God enables us. He empowers us. So my friends this morning, how are you being called to be a disciple? How are you being called to follow? 
Have you denied yourself? Have I denied myself? You might be saying, yeah, you know, Phil, it's easy for you. You're involved in full-time ministry. I don't care who you are. If you are a follower of Jesus, the journey of discipleship continues until the day you die or until the day we get to glory. There is a constant need for us. The old self is there. We see that in Paul. It pushes up to deny ourselves, to deny if we just have that gravitational pull to honor, to power. Believe me, full-time Christian ministry, is there a draw to power? Absolutely. I've seen it. We've all seen it in stories, maybe in lives close to us, but certainly in the news around us. I don't care who you are, where you work, how that functions. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are called, you and I, we are called to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow. To me, this is the question. What am I pursuing? Every day, the questions will come. And you can add to this list. But whether it's how you use your time, how you use your treasure, your finances, how you use the gifts God that has given to you, how you treat your family, how you treat your colleagues, is a journey of discipleship. It's a never-ending one. But the richness as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, he is there alongside us. We see the reality of who Jesus is. I read a story like Hannah's. I, I, I can't comprehend it. Having lived in a part of the world where Christianity was not, was a significant minority, I saw people suffer for their faith. Yet they pursued. We live in a place where we cannot comprehend much of what our friends around the world do. But we're not called to do this alone. We are called to do it as community. As we deny ourselves, we follow Jesus, knowing well that we love Jesus so much that we're willing to be weak, to be opposed, to be shamed. We're going to sing. Good Key Family is going to come up. And it's easy for us sometimes to sing words, but I want you to listen to these words and think about them. What happens during the rest of your week here with your friends, with your spouse, and as you sing? Think about the way that you are following. Does your calendar, your bank statement, the way you use your energy demonstrate that you follow Jesus? If we're not willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross, we will not follow. As we're called to be disciples, as we're called to follow Christ together, as we're called to follow together to the cross, 
If you're not sure of where you stand with Christ, I would invite you to have a conversation with someone you came with this morning. Feel free to come up here to the front. Happy to have a conversation with you. But maybe you're also someone who is knows where you stand with Christ, but you're not sure where you are on that following peace. Are you sitting on the side hoping somebody will follow for you? Maybe you need to have a conversation with someone and say, help me to journey together to follow Christ. We're not called to do this alone. Father, we come to you. We thank you for who you are. And Father, we pray with what Paul wrote that in our relationships with each other, may we have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Jesus, you made yourself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. You humbled yourself. You became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God our Father, you exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Therefore, dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according in order to fulfill his good purpose. And as we go into Easter week, let us keep our eyes on Jesus because he will show us where we need to go and how we should follow. Amen. Amen.